Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. There's always one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is July the 15th, 2020. This is episode 2690 of the Survival Podcast. If you skip the intro, please don't this time. Please don't skip the intro this time. I've got some important information here. Uh, we'll go ahead and start out with the sponsors of the day to get you to listen to that now, but there is some other important information in the intro. Number one, and this is an important thing about a sponsor, ButcherBox. Like, one of my favorite sponsors, picking my favorite sponsor is like picking my favorite kid. You know, it's easy for me to do because I got one, but if I had multiple kids and you said, who's your favorite kid? You see how that goes. But if I had to make a list of my favorite sponsors, ButcherBox would have to be on it, all right? And it's because they send me this big, giant box of beautiful meat every month. The problem with ButcherBox for the past few months is because of all this COVID hysteria. If you want to be a ButcherBox customer, you could fill out a little form and get on a waiting list, and then you too could partake in pastured poultry and grass-fed beef and pastured pork all sent right to your front door as though a professional home shopper had selected meat on your behalf. But guess what? They're reopened now. So if you've been waiting to be a ButcherBox member and you filled out the form you didn't get your notice, just go sign up. Remember, if you sign up and you're an MSB member, you can get $10 off your butcher box for life, which you can apply to free bacon or something else. But that's 120 bucks a year just by being an MSB member uh, and discounts from ButcherBox. Next up today, Backwoods Home Magazine. Been reading Backwoods Home Magazine since 1993, so it's really easy for me to recommend it to you as well. Uh, their latest edition was really good, but the one just before the latest one, that had an article in it called Pandemics of the Past. Boy, that really put a lot of things in perspective. If you're looking for something that would be kind of like the old-school Mother Earth news from the 70s with a big libertarian flair added into it, check out Backwoods Home, and you'll see why I've been reading them again since 1993. Uh, with that, let's talk about a few other things. One, I will let you know we did recruit, uh, record Unloose the Goose, episode one last night. It went fantastically. I'm still waiting for them to get it up online so you guys can download it and listen to the podcasting supergroup. Uh, but it's done. It happened, and I think it's going to be a – like you always think something's going to work, and then you have to try to actually do it for the first time. And I think the dynamic that's beginning to develop there is going to be amazing. And I think it's going to be a really cool project to, to be part of. So if you are not yet a subscriber to Unloose the Goose, you can become a subscriber to Unloose the Goose. You can just go to unloosethegoose.com and learn more. You can find us on iTunes, uh, Overcast. You can find us on Stitcher. I'm sure we'll be in a lot of other places as well. So I want to let you know that. Next up, I'm about to bring Judy on. And I need to tell you that this is my first interview since I got back. And there is some problems on my end with the audio that I was unable to rectify. And eventually, I, I, I called her back three times trying to square away. And there is some reverb and some issues on my side of the conversation. Hers is perfectly clear. So I was like, it's more important the guest says than I say. A note on that, though. You will hear at a point, Judy and I disagree on a point of contention, specifically with restricting things like video games, screen time, or any activity in children. Now, she's an unschooler, very unstructured. I actually really appreciate the model, and I think it makes a lot of sense for some people. 
if that's what they want to do. But you'll hear me say in this that she, she says, well, what if they were reading the entire Harry Potter series? Would you limit how much time they could read? And my response was yes. I would, I would even limit how much time a child could read. Well, why would you do that? Because at some point you should get up off your ass, out of the couch, and go outside. So I would limit any behavior that is taken to excess by any child because self-discipline is something they have to learn in time. And we're talking about learning today. Does not mean that I'm putting down anything Judy has to say. However, because of the technical issue on my end, I did not push back on the screen time and the psychological damage I think excessive screen time causes in children as hard as I would have otherwise. We've discussed it before. I don't debate with my guests, but that was one of those things that the main reason I would push back is you guys have heard me do it before. You've heard me talk about it before. You've heard me concur with other guests about it. So a lot of you might be, why didn't Jack bring up fill-in-a-blank? One, again, I generally don't. I wouldn't have pushed back a lot harder. But I would have made a little bit harder of a case when she says, well, there's no studies about, there's studies about the damage screen time is doing to our children's minds, the end. However, I'm not going to make that case now. I'm just going to say I would have. Because she's not here to respond to it, and I don't find that to be fair. Okay? Loved this gal. It was a fantastic interview. And before I bring her on, I want to give you a quote of the day that I think is also equally fantastic. Uh, this was from Plutarch, who was a, a, a Platonian Greek philosopher. And this is what he said about education. And I think this is a great way to go into today's show and a great way to have a discussion about education and schooling in general. He said, the mind is not a vessel to be filled but a fire to be kindled. And I completely agree with that. I would also say that the modern system of education takes exactly the opposite approach. Rather than a fire to be kindled, it is a vessel to be filled. We stuff the mind with information. We make the student regurgitate the information. We verify the quote-unquote learning has occurred. We tick off a box, we get a test score, and we get our money from the public coffer, and then we bring another child in and we are manufacturing diplomas at, at, at the, 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 the secondary education level. That's what we're doing. We manufacture diplomas. We are not educating students. You cannot educate by somebody by filling their mind. You cannot educate a person by telling them what to think. You cannot educate, uh, educate a person by telling them how to think. You educate a person by showing them how to think. So instead of telling someone how to think, you show them how to think. You see the difference? To, to tell you how to think is, for me to say, this over thing over here is bad. The way you should think is that this thing is bad too. If I want to teach you how to think rather than tell you how to think, I say, I believe that this thing is bad. Here are all the reasons that I believe this thing is bad. What do you think about those reasons? Can you give me a counter-argument? Can you back up your argument? Can you make a case to me actually that this thing that I say is bad is actually good? Even if I believe it's bad, that would be a great way to educate. Because if you actually do it right and you're correct, your student will come back to you with, these are all the ways I attempted to prove that wrong. My conclusion is that you are correct. Now I've taught you how to go about thinking rather than how to think about a thing. 
I have kindled your mind. I have set it on fire with a desire to learn through maybe just the desire to prove me wrong. That's fine. Whatever starts the fire. But if I tell you what to think, how to think about things, or I give you information and simply state that you must be able to repeat that information, all I have done is crammed a bunch of information into your brain. I've treated it as a vessel to be filled rather than a fire to be kindled. Because once we kindle a fire, we don't have to do anything. See, if we keep shoving things into a vessel, you stop, what happens? Either no more goes in, or some of what's in there falls out. It becomes useless. In the case of knowledge, if I, if I cram knowledge into a vessel of the brain, but then it is forgotten, it is literally useless. In some ways it's worse than useless because the person thinks they've been educated and they haven't. It's kind of scary. But if we actually kindle the mind as a blaze, then it will become all-consuming. And it will seek out to replicate itself and to continue long after you who started the fire have gone. That's the difference. With that, I want to welcome our special guest today, Judy Arnell. Hey, Judy, welcome to the Survival Podcast. How are you doing today? Good, thanks. Hey, I'm glad to have you on. We're going to talk about homeschooling and uh, unschooling as well, uh, which is kind of the purest form of, of home learning, in my opinion. Before we do, though, can you tell us a little bit about who who is Judy? Like, what is kind of what led you down this path? How did you end up where you are today? Okay, well, I started my career in teaching parents about child development and brain development. And um, as a adult educator, it's um, the teaching is very self-directed. We we let adults choose what they want to learn, how they want to learn it, and quite a lot of it is just self-taught. So when I had kids, I thought, why don't we teach children that way? Um, we just assume that they're dependent learners and we feed them information and they just sit there and take it all in and they don't actively learn themselves. So as my kids got older, we, we kind of, um, well, we put them in school and then we pulled them out just because the system wasn't working for them. And we started homeschooling and then we became homeschoolers that never got around to homeschooling. <laughs> And they just kept on learning. They played, they learned, they went to university, and then I wrote a book about it called Unschooling to University. Very cool. And can we kind of talk about what exactly is a, a fully self-directed education, or as we often hear of it, called unschooling? So unschooling is empowering the learner. I mean, whether it's a child or adult, it's empowering that learner to decide what they're going to learn, when they learn it, if they learn it, how they learn it, and yeah, pretty well, all those parameters are within their power of curiosity. So, what do we say to the person that says, well, then kids won't learn all the things they need to do. Can they really learn without school or without at least like a, a homeschool curriculum? Like won't they choose just not to learn, um, you know, even core mathematics, let alone calculus or something like that? 
Right. And that's a common question we get. And when you look at children, they learn to walk, they learn to talk, all without any teaching, active instruction. So all children will learn how to read. Um, it's a developmental skill that happens sometime between age four and seven. We just assume that kids learn to read in school because it happens during that time that they actually are in school. <laughs> so um, even children who don't go to school or receive active instruction in, in learning to read, learn to read. They all crack the code at some point in time, um, just as they learn to use the toilet. And the the things that kids really need to learn are what we call the three R's. They need to know how to read. They need to know how to write and they need to know how to do basic arithmetic math. And every child will learn those things on their own um, before they reach the age of puberty. So um, there are some things that are specific, such as social studies, geography, science, and kids will pick and choose what they want to learn based on their interests. And schools all across countries, world, all pick and choose what they're going to teach children in those subjects. Um, I mean, science is is basic science. Kids are going to learn science through daily living. They'll learn math through daily living. Now, they won't learn calculus through daily living <laughs> unless they actually pick up a textbook and learn it. But um, not everybody needs calculus either. So guaranteed Every child is going to learn what they need to know to function in society just through living their life. I, I kind of agree. What do you say to the person that says, I'm really concerned about college and university, and even if they were like, you know, we can do homeschooling and, and, and see how that happens. But what if, if we don't put any structure in, how am I going to get my kid into ABC University? Right. So about the age of... Around 16, 17, children reach that final development of their executive function and their prefrontal cortex. And that's when they really start looking at their future and they see their buddies preparing for college and they decide, hmm, what am I going to do for my life's work? And they may have a good idea of what they want to do because they've had so much free time to find out what their passions are, unlike kids in school who have no free time. So they decide about that age, they think, okay, maybe I want to be a veterinarian. So they look up, they do research, what do I have to do to be a veterinarian? Oh, I need biology, I need chemistry, I need these courses. And Children do not need high school diplomas to go to college and universities. They need specific courses. So at that point, they buckle down, they get a textbook, they get an online course, or they self-teach enough to get pass qualification exams and get the credentials they need to go on to university. Some, some kids actually um, may do a, a year of community college or a year as a mature student and get qualifications in order to transfer into a degree program. So it's definitely doable. So there's some other things that I, I think about whenever this comes up, and, and, and here's one of them that 
when you just look at homeschoolers as a whole, which includes everything from unschoolers to people that bring the curriculum of the state, which is like bringing the vampire into their home, that whole spectrum. Mm-hmm. Those students, 67% that go to college complete their degree, right? Which you know, the mm-hmm. pessimists would say, well, that means, you know, 33% didn't. Yeah, but only 54% of students who come out of the state system complete a degree once they answer it. So schools are really big on X percent go on to college. Well, if you go to college and you spend $40,000 for a third of a degree that doesn't do anything for you, that's a failure. So the real number to look at has got to be the completion rate. And, and trust me, if it was the other way around, the state would be screaming it. You know, we, we, we're 13% better. Uh, but when they're 13% worse, they never bring the number up ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's it's interesting how <clears throat> it's portrayed out there. <laughs> um, you know, like uh, colleges is for some kids definitely for um and and I'm not saying that qualifications are not needed. I you know when I get in a plane I want my pilot to have a certain level of established qualifications. Same with my brain surgeon. But um there are it's not the ultimate measure of success in life. A lot of unschoolers go on to businesses, they develop companies they go into the arts and they're successful because they're happy. They're doing what they love to do and they're not in the wrong career. They have chosen what they wanted to do based on their passions, where a lot of kids go to college, get the degree and decide they hate what they're doing. And that to me is not success. That to me is um, maybe you should have had more time when you were young to find out who you are and what you want to do. But that's not too measurable. We, we treasure what we measure. So <laughs> there, There's um, a lot with uh, cherry picking of statistics uh, on the stuff you're talking about right there. I'm working on an article on this right now. And what I have found is that uh, roughly – 70% of degree-holding graduates state that they either cannot find work in their field or they're not using their degree. So mm-hmm. 70% of the people that spend all this money and all this time and all this effort don't even use their college degree or, or would like to but can't. And, mm-hmm. and that is failure. That's, that's, that's a massive failure. And there's a, 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 the entire, that entire system is falling. Uh, college enrollments have dropped for eight consecutive years. Now, you go to any investor and say, I want you to invest in this business or sector. By the way, it declined for the last eight years. You know what they tell you? No. And, and they don't give you an explanation because they figure if they have to give you an explanation, you won't understand it anyway. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, there are all these options, and I think a homeschooled, unschooled kid is more likely to do a better job choosing from all these options instead of being myopic in this one path. Mm-hmm. I, I think so too. I think um, <clears throat> um, kids definitely, they don't really know what it takes to go out there and get a career until they're starting to research that, like late teens. But um, there are definite jobs out there right now that are in high demand. They're very competitive. Anything in engineering, science, the STEMs, you know, biomedical. Those, um, those are the people working right now. Mm-hmm. 
and they're very competitive to get into. But if if a child has that passion and um, want wants to get into something like that, they will get into they'll get the qualifications they need and they'll get a job in that field where they're actually working and paying off those college loans. Yeah, I agree. So, but what about the people that say you're giving the kids too much control when you let them unschool? Well, we say everybody has the control, even kids. Um, when they're young and they don't want to be where they are, they hate school. What do they do? They act out and they cause disruption for everybody else who's trying to learn. When they're a little older, they, um, are forced to go to school, then they tune out and they're a lot of fun to teach. And then when they're old enough, they drop out because they can. So they already own what they're learning and their education. We are just handing it over to the learner when they're a lot younger. And in fact, everybody, babies are are born self-directed learners. Toddlers are born self-directed learners. But at age five, we take that away from them and we say, you can't learn what you want to learn anymore. You have to learn what the government thinks you should learn. And that is not true education. That is indoctrination, I think. <laughs> so I agree completely in principle. What happens if I take you know, my, my, my grandson, Braylon, who will be homeschooling this year? And I give him the complete self-directed path. And every time I walk in the living room, he's playing video games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so now what? I mean, he's learning all about Sonic, or I don't know what kids play now, but he's learning about Sonic and Mario or whatever, but he's not learning anything that we would think of as generally being useful uh, on, a, on an education path. Yeah. That is such a common question because... Um, that's could what it, what would happen. So <laughs> I would say he is learning. Um, so video games are really great. They teach problem solving. They teach critical thinking under time pressures. They teach research. They teach teamwork. A lot of those games, you have to work with a team. You have to commit to a certain time period or else you get punished. <laughs> And they are very educational and they teach skills. Um, I, I know because I had five gamers in my family and what they learned through video games were random bits of information that spurred them on to do research later. So, for example, we, we had this really popular game called Age of Empires and they learned all about history and Roman times and knights and stuff like that. And every game teaches something. Even Call of Duty teaches something. And the main point of video games is not to impart information. It's to connect brain neurons and get them firing. Mm. And whether that's done through a math workbook or through Fortnite, it does it. It does the same brain functions. And, and kids pick up these really good life skills, problem solving, teamwork, um, cooperation. So I would say yay video games. And I know there are families that are limiters and there are families who are unlimiters. And every child is going to come out of that educated. 
You know, my question for that person would honestly be this. If you send your kid to the state school now, do you give them unlimited time to play video games today? And most parents, I hope, would say, well, no, there's time limit. Well, that's a parenting decision, not an education decision. Those two things are separate. Like, I can limit how much time my grandson spends on an iPad or playing video games. That That's not directly tied to how he chooses to execute his education, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It, it is, but then I, I ask parents the same question. Are you going to tell your child who wants to read the entire Harry Potter series, are you going to limit their time? And very often they say no because it's reading. And I say, well, <laughs> why would you limit game playing or research on iPad or the Internet when it's all education? We we do not um, put things into boxes and say that's not educational, mm-hmm. but this is. Um, all Lego is educational. All board games, everything in life is educational and teaches something. So, um, yeah, and, but I agree. It is a parenting decision, and we had some parameters in our family that the kids got enough exercise, enough um, family time where there's no technology, and enough, um, um, you know, just social time. Because, see, if you and- ask me that question, would I limit how much reading time he would have if he was reading the entire Higher Potter series? I answer that question also with yes, I would. I would limit oh. anything. Anything that is done to the exclusion of anything, of everything else. Anything that is so much one thing that health, recreation, etc. doesn't have it. I would, I would limit anything. And I would give them unlimited choices, but I would also say, like, here's a time limit. Especially with screen time. I mean, I've done research into me, more the internet, etc., social media than video games, but the psychological damage that's happening to some of our children as they live in a 100% virtual world is very concerning to me. But I wouldn't cut it off or say it can't be part of their learning. But that's, again, I'm back to a parenting decision. That's Those two things do not have to be interconnected. Yeah. Um, that's true. I mean, it is a parenting decision. But um, when you look at kids who are homeschooling and unschooling, they have a lot of free time during the day, right? And and we're talking about different age groups too. Mm-hmm. So a five year old you would I would limit time, but a ten year old I probably wouldn't. And by the time they're sixteen, good luck with that. <laughs> right? Uh, But you also have to look, um, we don't have any good long-term research studies of the effects of all that time on on brains and people's um, psychology. We we have lots of little studies, but not a lot of good long-term studies. What are, what's it doing to those kids' brains 20 years from now, right? So in an atmosphere of Kids that grow up in strong relationships, that much screen time is not going to cause them damage if they have really good functional family life. We'll move on from there because I'll agree to disagree with you on that one. (laughs) Um, But for my approach or your approach, what about the people who say, what about gaps? Aren't there some things every kid must know? Yes. So, And every kid will learn everything they need when they need it. So, for for example, um, 
let's uh, there there are going to be gaps but when kids go to school there are gaps too because the schools can't teach about every country in the world they have to pick certain countries but maybe that's not the countries a child is interested in learning about um so whether you're homeschooling whether you send your child to school there will be gaps in their knowledge that will be filled in when they need it so it's it's instead of the school deciding what they learn it's the learner deciding what they learn and the big benefit of that is there is absolutely no motivation problems none hmm. you know <laughs> like parents now are fighting with their kids to stick in front of the computer and learn what the school is trying to teach them remotely and they're not interested they're not motivated that's somebody else's agenda they are motivated to learn what they want to learn so why not let them loose and learn it you know what that makes me think of is there was an experiment and this guy did a ted talk I, i tried to find it for this episode for people to look at and i couldn't but they put a computer in some remote village in india attached to the internet right Mm-hmm. And, and everything on the computer was in English. There was no, mm-hmm. and, it was, and all the kids spoke, I guess, Hindi. Mm-hmm. There was no instructions, no teacher, no anything. They came back in a month, and the kids knew how to use the computer. Yes, right? and they it was probably, like a huge number of kids, and they were teaching each other and learning more. And no one did anything except stick it there and get out of the way. Yes, yeah, I've seen that TED talk, and that is exactly what unschooling is like. You. Um, that's what we call strewing. You leave things in the kids' path. So, you know, you leave a computer, you leave a, a box of pattern blocks. You just put it out there and kids go, whoa, this is interesting. And they start playing with it and they manipulate it and they research it and they, they absorb more because they're motivated. They want to know more. And kids are born learning machines. They, they're curious. They want to know about the world around them and, and how things fit together and, and life and how to drive and how to work computers. I mean, you know, people say, um, it, digital natives, we didn't teach them all this stuff. They learn to code because they want to and they research sites that will teach them how to do it. So we just have to get out of their way. So what about legalities? Um, I know there's varying levels of homeschool freedom. Texas, where I live, being one of the freest states for homeschoolers with the least amount of uh, oversight by the state. Basically, we fill out a piece of paper. We say we intend to teach four core subjects and that we're doing it and we're our own private school and then go bugger off somewhere behind a tree. We don't need to talk to you anymore. And we don't even have to, like, they say, like, well, what curriculum are used? Uh, we're using the Nunya curriculum, i.e. Nunya business. Some states <laughs> seem to have a lot more oversight. My understanding is un- unschooling is actually legal in all 50 states, but it sounds like in some states it would be almost impossible to do based on the reporting requirements. So how, how do you address that? And that's tough. Um we, I say we use the curriculum of Nintendo because we're all gamers. But um, so, self-directed learning or unschooling is a methodology of education. So, it's opposite teacher instruction. It's self-directed instruction. So we just tend to put that down as our methodology. Um, 
But kids are going to learn everything that kids learn in school. But it becomes really tough when the states or provinces mandate that one has to follow the government or the school curriculum. That becomes tough. And I would urge parents to um, push back against those regulations and restrictions because then they have to submit to standardized testing. Because once you adhere to a curriculum, then you got to measure what's learned. So don't go down that cliff if you can. If if things are tightening up, regulation is tightening up, push back against that. Because um, you want to do what you want to do. You, you want to use – the whole point of self-directed is the learner decides what they're going to learn. And you just can't do that if you have an imposed curriculum. So what do you actually need to be able to unschool successfully? It sounds – on one level, it sounds like you can just go, be free and do nothing. Um, do you give any direction? Do you have any schedule? Do you have anything at all? Or do you just let your kids do whatever the hell they want? Um, some parents take that approach in their parenting and say, you know what? Eat when you want, sleep with you want, um, those kinds of things. Other parents say, no, we'll just keep it to education. We still have meal times here. We still have bedtimes because our family still has to function. So there's those extremes too and everything in between. So that depends on the family. And you know what? Both works. Um, if kids want more structure, their personality, their temperament demands it. They will impose structure in their day. Um, but what successful unschooling needs is a facilitator, so an adult around to help kids get what they need. For example, my son wanted a welding class. Um, he didn't have any money, so I paid for it and drove him there. <laughs> um, and that's my job as a facilitator. And the other thing they need is time unstructured time, lots of time, and resources. So resources could be the library, the internet, doesn't have to be a whole lot of stuff. Books in the house would be nice, those kinds of things. But um, yeah, that's what you need to unschool. And you know what? It doesn't cost a lot of money, and it doesn't make anyone any money. And that's probably why most people never hear about it, is because... It doesn't fuel jobs. I think it would probably fuel industry or uh, markets because plenty of unschoolers, even if they're unstructured, would still possibly use curriculums if that's what the kid wanted. But yeah, you're right. It doesn't. It doesn't fund state coffers. It doesn't fund online universities. It doesn't fund anything. It, it's because it's a natural human state. Mm-hmm. Absolutely right and. And that's another point is for pushing back against regulation is from when kids are zero to five, those are the prime years that their brain is developing the most. And we don't have state interference. We don't have education departments come into your house and say, Yet. Hey, what are you teaching them? Right? Yet. So, um, so I mean, really, there's a big push for universal pre-K. They're trying to get their hooks into your kids as early as possible now. Yes, absolutely, because what that says is as a parent and as a child learner, they can't do a good enough job as the state can, and that is not true. We know that from research and from our knowledge of brains. 
Um, I find it interesting that people tried to use this current situation as a case against homeschooling because parents struggled so much um, when they were thrust into it. And I know they were using the state's curriculum and all, but it, it still they were like test driving having your kids learn at home. And what I found interesting is all that hysteria, all those people being upset on social media, it lasted two weeks, and it all went away, and people started talking about how great it was. And now mm-hmm. people are like screaming – we need to reopen the schools. And the conservatives are the screaming the loudest. The conservatives who I've listened to for the past 12 years that I've done this tell me schools are liberal indoctrination centers are screeching to send children back to them and saying that, you know, well, for many people, it's impossible. And I think when people say that, what they really mean is for me, I think it's impossible because people tend to talk about what's not possible for someone else when they want to defend their own decision. And my contention is, most of you have had your kids home for about six months now. Whatever you needed to do in order to have your kids home, you've done it. So it's no longer impossible. It may not be convenient. It may not come with zero sacrifice, but it's not impossible. Mm-hmm. And if anybody says it's impossible at this point, where have your children been? On the roof? Right? I mean, like, where have your kids been for six months? And, and they've been at home or at grandma's or somewhere. Yeah. And I don't want to put anybody down that doesn't choose to do it. I'm just saying, like, this should have shown you that it's possible. And looking at things like unschooling or even independent curriculums, et cetera, like maybe it's time that you test drove the kind of like the crappy used old Chevy. Take a look at like a really nice sports car here and maybe try that, too, and see if you don't like it. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Like, um. The thing, too, is that when parents were thrust into this, they weren't technically homeschooling. They were the parents overseeing the homework on steroids. So it, it, education is now not a matter of where it takes place, whether it's in a classroom, on a computer, or in your living room. It's a matter of who controls it. And most parents now have been under the control of the school. The school sends work home. The parents are the police. So in true homeschooling, the parent and the child controls it. So parents have to make a switch to that legal side of doing parent-controlled homeschooling. And and what they're finding out is after the kids, you know, after six months, and the kids don't want to do the work anymore, then they let it slide and they say, well, it's so much more better if we can do what we want rather than what the school tells us we have to do. And it, it's a much nicer experience. And I think that's what parents are going to grab onto for the fall. And it, it's no secret. School is for employment support. There are a lot of parents that need schools to babysit their kids during the day. And that's, <laughs> been the function of schools. Um, we unschoolers know that kids can learn eight grades of math in one year when they reach puberty. But schools, why do they take eight years to teach it? Because they need to provide content to babysit the kids. You know, even with it being the school's curriculum, when my grandson started doing this, once we kind of got it all together, because we didn't have a plan, it was like, here it is, and we got to do it. So the first two <laughs> weeks were hell. They were. I mean, we had to get him, get him in the right mindset. I finally looked at it. I said, dude, I looked at all your work. You can do this in two to two and a half hours a day. 
You can have freedom for the rest of the day. He's lying, by the way. You can have freedom for the rest of the day. Do whatever you want. You can work on projects with me. You can hang out in the office with me. You can play. You can learn what you want to learn. You can do whatever you want if you just do this in two and a half hours a day. But I guess you don't want to be free. Two days later, he says to my wife in the garage, Grandma, I just want to be free. The next day, he tore into it. And he was knocking out two days of work in about three hours, even doing their stuff. And my my statement to my son, my daughter-in-law, and my wife were, then what the hell are they doing with your kid for six hours a day beyond the, the three hours? And why the hell is your kid coming home with homework if they have him for nine hours a day and he can do two days' worth of work in, in three to four hours? What's going on? What is his time actually getting done? And it pretty much pushed everybody over the edge and everybody's on board now with, you know, we're going to do things differently this coming fall. And my hope and my belief is that that's going to happen not with hundreds or thousands of people this year, millions. Mm-hmm. I think if you look at it as a 10% conversion of 10% that got the test drive by the car, mm-hmm. you got 5.5 million new homeschoolers. Well, there's only 2 million right now. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a tripling of the number. In a year, it's a mega trend. Mm-hmm. It's a disruption to education, absolutely. Because um, what's so the time factor is what people most people used to think. Oh, you know, I'm fighting with my kids over doing 20 minutes of homework. I'm not going to spend six hours a day homeschooling them and fighting <laughs> over that. And we say, no, it doesn't take six hours a day. You know, it's, it's, what do kids do all day? They wait. They spend so much time waiting. And I like to explain it as a difference between throwing a dinner party for 30 people versus eating a sandwich over the sink with yourself. You know, it's <laughs> the time involved into planning, shopping, cooking, cleaning up, serving for 30 guests in your house is going to take a whole lot longer than making a sandwich for you and your partner. But it does the same thing. Everybody gets fed, right? So so people people are starting to realize how little time it takes to even follow a curriculum, right? Because it doesn't take much time at all. So what do you think the future of education is and what role will um, unschooling play in it and maybe broader, you know, structured out of the system, even homeschooling. Like, cause I think one of the things here is my, my biggest problem with the education system has always been if I want to buy a pair of pants, I go to the store and I choose the pair of pants that most fit what I want. If I want a radio, I buy the radio that best fits me. If I want a computer, I buy the computer that best fits me. In the education system, what it's been is you live here so your kid goes to this school or we'll arrest you. And as you move into the world of homeschooling, I might use an independent curriculum because that's what I want. You might use unschooling because that's what you want. Somebody else might use, and I really beg you not to unless you have to, the state's curriculum in your home. Some might still choose to send their kids to school, but I think that when you get a market that's no longer a monopoly – it's always better. Like monopolies are never good. And then we let the state create a monopoly for the most important things in our life and what's more important than our kids. So as more and more people go this way and choose something differently, what does the future of education look like? 
what I see for the future is a lot more choices. So as a parent, when you sign your child up for school when they're age five, you are handing over your authority over your child's education. You're saying, okay, school, you can have it. But if you homeschool, you are taking back that authority. You're saying, I am taking control of my child's education legally. And what that does is when you're in the driver's seat now, you don't have to teach your child. You can be the general contractor of their education and outsource different parts. And we have seen that this summer. The number of online virtual schools or courses, courses that you can just Pick and choose a la carte. You don't have to sign up for the whole school package. And you can pick and choose according to your child's interests. So there's a lot more personalization and a lot more engagement because if a child wants a course on coding that's an hour taught by a teacher with four other kids in Zoom, they're going to learn something because they're motivated. So I see a lot of micro schools popping up, parent co-ops where parents will teach a, a group of kids. I see a lot of outsourcing to even childcare professionals. So getting the nanny to facilitate the unschooling happening in the home. The only problem with all this is childcare for kids age 5 to 10. What do we do about them? They still need supervision. You know, after... Age 10, kids can stay home alone. They can entertain themselves. But I see libraries stepping up and offering programs that will supervise the children but not look like school. It will be more fun, more like day camps and, you know, things like that. So it won't be a matter of where the kids get educated. We, I can see more universities and colleges having entrance exams to prove qualifications. No matter where a child learns biology, if they know the basic biology and can pass the exam, they will go into it. So I, I see schools, the typical government school is the walls are coming down there. <laughs> Students are borderless. They can learn from anywhere in the world. I agree completely, and I think that we're seeing in post-secondary, so everybody takes up in college, and when I beat up on it, that's what I'm talking about. But there are thousands of new options. There's coder boot camps. There's courses you can take for free on Udacity to do, let's say, Android development for Google, and if you decide you like it, then you can pay to have your projects and stuff graded. It's like 200 bucks a month. Complete that, and Google will almost certainly give you a job. I don't think you have any requirements as far as like state anything to take that Udacity course. And I don't think Google gives a damn. And that's mm -hmm. one example. There are thousands of new examples of true post-secondary education coming up where employers are basically saying, instead of all this BS fluff and boilerplate crap about requirements, this is a list of things that, the, that I actually want a person who walks through my door able to do when they sit down at the desk. Mm -hmm. And then they go to these educational providers and they say, we want this. And the provider's like, so no studies in gender fluidity or whatever? And they're like, nope, this. <laughs> and then they say, well, how many, how many people like that would you like? And basically that's the employer outsourcing the initial training and reducing their washout rate and having a better conversion rate of employees that last a long time. And mm -hmm. that's the future of post-secondary. 
So the entire educational system in high school has been developed around a paradigm of the Industrial Revolution of let's train kids to follow a time clock and work in a factory and or go to university. That whole paradigm is dead and dying. And we keep feeding that. And only an artificial market through the force of the state, a mass delusion, and a government mandate can maintain the system as long as it has. And it seems like the best thing about COVID to me, because it's not a great thing, right, overall. But the best thing about it to me is a whole bunch of parents just got broken from that mass delusion that this is the only way. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. It, it's They were forced to look at alternatives and they're not so bad, right? And And it's also, I think it's good that employers and businesses are now having a hand in what education kids are getting because ultimately they want they want employees with particular skills and knowledge and and up until now we haven't really listened to them as governments we we know that we're we're educating kids for jobs but the whole focus has been on oh we educate the whole person <clears throat> But you know what? That's the job of parents. That's not the job of the school. The school I expect from education is to teach my kids skills or um, knowledge. I can do the rest of the stuff, <laughs> parenting. So, um, so it's it's a matter of not really what kids know, but what they can do with what they know. How can they put that into practice? How can they? you know, solve the problems of our world. And we're leaving them big problems, environmentally, politically, socially. They're going to have to have those skills to take it on. And I don't think our government school system is giving them the education they need to take that on. Gotcha. So you mentioned brain development a little bit here. How does brain development fit with unschooling? It fits <clears throat> very well in that, um, I mean, when children are zero to five, they are unschoolers, right? They just learn what they want to learn. <clears throat> when I watch my toddler, you know, take eggs out of the fridge and drop them on the floor from three feet above, he's learning science and it's feeding his curiosity. So, but then, you know, from age five to 12, um, we think, oh, we got to fill these brains with all this information. And personally, I found by age 12, my kids did not remember much of what I signed them up for classes. I took them places. We traveled the world. And during their teen years, they didn't remember much before age 12. It it helped in that it grow, grew their neurons and, you know, made connections and things like that. But um, video games can do the same thing, really. But then most of what people retain as far as knowledge is in the teen years, right? So um, that's where the real education begins. And that's when we teach things that are more abstract and theoretical because the brain is starting to handle more theoretical things with the development of the executive function and the, the frontal lobes and the prefrontal cortex. So if we if we understand how children learn and how their brain develops, um, we have a better idea of um, what to expose them to, what they'll remember. And really, I think, you know, that's why a lot of unschoolers don't 
pick up a book until high school age because then they really absorb it. They really learn it. They're ready. Got you. What are, what are the benefits overall? Like, what would be your final kind of sales pitch on this education methodology? I would say children own their education. We think we do, but we don't. Um, you, you can't force a child to learn anything, and you can't stop them from learning anything. <laughs> so it, if you just let them loose and um, give them a, a stimulating environment with relationships and maybe a computer, some books, they will learn everything they need to learn to become useful, contributing, nice people. And uh, is there, like, do you have any kind of resources for people where they can learn more about you, your work, or just about unschooling as a whole? Um, yeah, I have a blog called unschoolingtouniversity.com, and it's, I post regularly on there, and um, my book is Unschooling to University, and the book is about um, my five children and 25 of their friends who all unschooled and went on to be accepted into colleges and universities. And they, we had STEM, we had arts, we had humanities. 22 have already graduated. Two have gone on to master's programs. Why I chose that as a benchmark is because I'm not preaching to the choir. I'm, I'm preaching to the congregation. I'm saying that if you're not closing doors by letting your child unschool. So our my research, my studies and surveys are in the book and also a lot about brain development and how it fits. And if you Google unschooling, you will get a lot of information about it. It's becoming much more widespread in all the countries in the world. Well, except for maybe China and Germany, but... <laughs> It is growing. And like I said before, it doesn't make anybody any money. So it's growing through word of mouth and peer-to-peer -peer support. Um, a lot of the official organizations will not acknowledge it. Gotcha. Well, I appreciate you being with us today, and I'll make sure that uh, the stuff you mentioned and all the links in the uh, application you sent in to be a guest are in today's show notes. And I thank you for being with us today. Well, thank you so much for having this chat with me. It was wonderful. So I want to reiterate here at the end how important I think the concept of choice is in the education of our children. And like I was trying to say to Judy there, despite the technical issues on my end, um, when I go out to buy a pair of pants, I don't go out and buy the pair of pants the government says I'm supposed to have. I don't go to the store to get the pants that the government says I need to go to. Let's say that the only store, let's say that we, we had a monopoly on pants, and the only stores that sold pants were Kohl's. Kohl's was the only place you could go get a pair of Wrangler jeans, and I wanted a pair of Wrangler jeans for whatever reason. Well, there is a Kohl's only a few miles away from me. But let's say that that Kohl's really sucked, and I didn't have the option of buying on Amazon. I had to go to Kohl's to get a pair of Wrangler jeans, and I had decided I want a pair of Wrangler jeans. There are Dozens of Kohl's stores. I'm free to choose which one I go to. It's not like, oh, 
Well, you came to our Kohl's store. Let me see your ID. No, sir, you have to go to Kohl's number 135. If you want permission to use a different Kohl's store, you need to fill out a form and get approval from the government to use a different Kohl's store. That's exactly how our education system works. We wouldn't stand for that with something as rudimentary as a pair of Wrangler jeans. We wouldn't stand for it. People would like tear down walls. Like the riots you've seen recently, the BLM riots and, and stuff like that, they would be nothing. You start telling people you, you have to go to store XYZ to get your Wrangler jeans. You try that shit. You see what happens. People will flip the hell out. But it's okay to do it with your child's education. This is the sickness that has infested America. So once we break that, once we break that, and we say, well, my child is not going to XYZ school district school building Z this year. They are going to stay home and they're going to learn at home. I think it's important then that we explore all our options. Unschooling, I can tell you my opinion of that with my grandson, and also always acknowledging that he's not my son, he's my son's son and my daughter-in-law's son, and they get the final decision, they ain't going to go for it either. And they have every right to feel that way. But I don't think he's right for a completely structuralist thing. I think this kid calls out for some structure. But when we started examining it, I realized there were actually three, not one, but three Charter schools in the state of Texas that are the state system that were options for us. There's also his school's virtual school and the generalized state school. There's also the Ron Paul curriculum that's not in the state system but would work. But I looked at it and I was not pleased with the quality of instructor. It wasn't any instruction. It was the quality of the instructor. It was boring. It did not engage me. We looked further. We found some other options. We looked at a full role your own. We looked at Khan Academy for math and a different company for, for, for science and, and what have you. We found Excellus. That's probably the way we're going to go. And we were really excited about the way that the whole format was put together, the tools that it gives parents for oversight. It's a much more structured curriculum, but I have the freedom if I determine that my grandson really should be one grade level back in math of doing that, and if he should be one grade level ahead in science, we can do that at the same time. I like that flexibility. I like the fact that the guy that built the whole school, like, invented the hydrogen car, invented really the first actual home personal computer, and invented gigabit Ethernet. And if somebody wants to compare the quality of that instruction to the quality of his elementary school, I'm going to ask, what has any teacher at his elementary school invented that has altered the course of humanity? But that's what I want. Maybe you don't want that. Maybe you want a completely religious-focused, spiritual-based course, even when you're teaching history, math, science, language arts. If that's what you want, then that's what you should have. I'm simply suggesting that whether it be unschooling, homeschooling, or even, I still think bringing your child home, even if you use the virtual school of the state, is a better solution. But I think you're also, one more time, folks, you're inviting the vampire into your home. I just had a story I shared yesterday on social media. A family in Michigan, um, the child, a, a teenager, was put in juvenile hall facility jail for failing to do homework. Do not invite the vampire into your home. Consider it. Evaluate it. And this is my thought. I don't think the state can do anything that competes with the free market. I, I don't think there's anything the state can do better. So I don't even care if you consider it, just consider it in all its implications and then look beyond it to all the other options you have. Realize that there are not just, you know, 
Wrangler jeans. There's also Levi's jeans and, and God knows who else. And there's plenty of stores to buy your jeans from. And maybe you don't want jeans. Maybe you want shorts or tactical shorts or tactical pants or work clothes. I, see, that's how we do everything else in our life. We say, what do I most require? And you say, well, that's me. This is my child. Well, when you buy things for your child, don't you do the same thing? When you buy them T-shirts, you buy them T-shirts that you think would look good on them. And you buy them T-shirts that you can afford. And you buy them t-shirts you think that will last long enough to be worth buying them. And you do that when you buy them a bicycle. And you do that when you, you know, when they get older and you buy them their first car. Or you help them buy their first car. Or if you buy them a phone. Like, you always consider the options when you make any purchase on behalf of yourself or your children. I'm just saying that right now we have this incredible opportunity. More than it's ever been before. More minds open than ever to make that decision on our child's education. And I implore you not to do what I say should you should do. Because that would be me telling you how to think. I implore you to think about it from a standpoint of a complete full evaluation of, can I, instead of saying, can I do this, how can I do this? How many times have we talked about that on this show? Instead of saying, I can't do this, I wish I could this, or even, can I do this? The right question, if you actually want an answer is how can I do this? I guarantee you if you ask that question about almost anything, you'll get an answer that will work. You might also get an answer that you're unsatisfied with, that the sacrifice is too great. Don't be afraid of the answer. At least you'll know what you're saying no to. How can I do this? And then if you come up with any way you can, by which means would best serve myself and my children? Because I want you to be part of that 5 to 10 to even 15 million people over the next year that pull their kid out of the school system. Because that's what's going to happen. And I'm going to tell you, the people with the most engaged parents, the most affluent families, the best students, the anchor kids, the real, and you know, you talk about anchor babies, right? The real, the anchor kids for the public education system, the, the kids they hang their hat on, the kids that prop up their system, they're showcase kids. The ones they use that justify the money that they spend on all the other kids that don't do anything. They're the first ones that are going to leave. The system, as bad as it is, is about to get a lot worse. And I'll tell you, here's what I think the end game is, because it's been confusing to me what, what the Democrats are playing at with keeping the schools closed. I think one is just a simple political answer, and that is when a presidential election happens, if people are in generally unhappy... They vote against the incumbent, right? Now, understand, you got a group of people that um, I could be running as the Republican candidate and say, I think all Republicans are stupid and you should not vote for me, and they will vote for me because I'm the lesser of two evils. And you could have people on the Democrat side that even if it was Joe Biden running, now, come on, right? Even if it was the do my dog Charlie was running, they'd say, well, he's better than Spearco. Spearco's a Republican. There's the middle that vacillates, and the way you move the preponderance of the middle is if they are unhappy, which they were in the last election, they will vote against the incumbent. Now, that was mitigated by the fact that Hillary Clinton wasn't actually the incumbent, but she represented the incumbency. That's how a guy like the Orange Man becomes president. So I think there is a move there that if we, just, if we keep kids out of the school, people will be pissed, and even though we did it, they'll blame him because he handled it wrong or whatever. But I think it's bigger than that. Like, they have to know, they have to know that if you let fall come 
and kids don't go back. Everything I've said about this gets way stronger, and more and more people just don't. If you have kids not go back in the fall and do online school, most of those parents will never send their kids back. They'll never do it. Because at that point, they're whatever, like I said, it's not impossible. And be, when they have no choice, they will ask the question, how can I? And once they do, they will be anchored to that new system. The kids won't want to go back, and they'll adapt. You can't like not send the kids back until after Christmas and expect that they're coming back. You can't do it. I mean, some will come back. Some are that drone-minded. But the, so what is the game? And I'm going to tell you what the game is. The game is, and it will be part of a stimulus bill if they have their way, to get a device for every child. A, a, a computer, a tablet, something that will be a state-issued device. And condition your child to be tracked in everything they do and have everything they do approved of or disapproved of for the rest of their lives. For complete and total control. It's always been their goal to be able to track every human being and have every human being submit to the state. And this is a great opportunity to do that. So, if your school says they're not that, that you that you don't get to send them back, and you would have otherwise, why would you use their curriculum? You now you now you're stuck, right? And it's not like last year where it was like there's two months or two and a half or three months left, right? Now you're at a point where you're starting from day one for grade whatever. Why use the vampiric system? At that point, if they tell you, like even if you would have sent them back, but they tell you we're not going to do it, use your own curriculum. Please, please don't empower them. Don't continue to feed them when they're not doing anything for you. And let me tell you something. I've talked to people that do it or did it. It's the first step in homeschooling, and it puts hooks into not just your child but to you. Mike and Sue told me they did it one year in all their years of homeschooling, multiple different groups of children. And they spend an hour every night doing work to appease the state. You don't have to do it. Don't let the vampire into your home. Because once you do, once you do, this vampire is different than the ones on TV. There is no stake that can go through its heart. Lastly on this, you think, oh my God, what if I do this? And if you are thinking, but what if I choose this other curriculum and Stop. If you choose something else and it doesn't work and you wish to go back to the beast, if you wish to go back to the beast, they will happily have you back. Your kid's not signing up for the army for 10 years or something. This is something you can change your mind about. Kids change schools all the time. There is no difference. But again, I believe that if you pick anything other than the state solution... And try it. Even if you decide this isn't the best for me, whatever you pick second won't be going back to the state. If it is, it is. But I bet it won't be. Do not let these people into your home. As bad as it is to send your child to their lair, do not bring the beast to your home. And those of you that are new, this is not a religious thing for me. When I say the beast, I'm not conjuring revelations. I'm calling them the beast because that's what they are. That's what they are. Do not bring them into your home. If your child is finally severed of that system, cut the cord all the way 100%.
You can do worse than to check out Excellus. I think you'll like it if you check it out. And before we wrap up the COVID minute today, yep, one minute on COVID hysteria and lies uh, from the government yet again. Got two for you today. Number one, Florida has been caught red-handed inflating the positive test results. I'll put a link for that to you in the show notes. So once again, a, a, a government agency has been caught lying and making it out to be worse than it is. You can read it for yourself. And number two, Sweden is a failure according to the media. There's a barrage of articles out today called things like how Sweden screwed up. But if you actually pull up Sweden's numbers, they have almost no new cases and almost zero deaths. In fact, they have what looks like a little uptick in deaths today, and it's like nine. And it's because if you look at the graph, you can see they didn't report for a couple days. So it's like several days reported in one day. And they have almost no new cases, and the curve has completely fallen off the cliff on the other side, and their society is not destroyed, and they can go back to work, and they are not going to have to deal with it again because the cycle has gone through. And what they've done, if they have to, they can do it again, and what we're doing is destroying our economy. And if our numbers proportionally looked like Sweden's today, it would be hailed as a massive success, but because it conflicts with the narrative, they screwed up. They did screw up. They screwed up one thing at the very beginning. And you can look at the timeline when they locked down elder care. You can look two weeks past that, and you watch their death rate at that point fall long before their case count fell. They have done it right. We have done it wrong. But you won't hear that from the mainstream media. You'll keep hearing them saying that it's a bad thing, even though it worked. The way I put it today was the mainstream media has just announced that COVID-19 hysteria has been placed on life support. Your thoughts and prayers are requested. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up. Remind you, you can help support this show by doing your online shopping where? tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. No matter what you buy, if you start in tspaz, you help support us in the work that we do. Today's uh, item of the day is the Active Aqua Submersible Pump. This is available in a couple different sizes. Uh, I really like the 550 and the 880. There's like an 1,100-gallon one, and there's some smaller ones. They all pretty much work the same. I've used them in aquaponics. I've used them in hydroponics. I've pretty much standardized on them. I stepped up to the 880-gallon per hour one when I built my wife's little mini Miyagi with an overflow and a bird bath and stuff like that, so that a little more throw. Um, they're fantastic. I will tell you the one thing about them, in some systems, the little pre-filter, little foam filter in the front of them can kind of clog up quickly. I have found that if you just remove that sucker, nothing bad happens, and it, it doesn't clog up, and it's a lot easier to clean and maintain. Anyway, they are a great pump. They cost about twice what a super cheap one does, and they're still not expensive. I have found super cheap ones, you're lucky if you get a year out of them. I've had some of these running now for seven years, and they continue to run. So always be frugal, never be cheap, and always shop online through tspaz.com. With that, let's talk about our song of the day. This is one of my kind of favorite songs of all time, and for a long time, I didn't even know the version that I'm going to play for you today exists. This is from the 70s. It's by Dave Mason. It's called We Just Disagree. In the uh, late 80s or very early 90s, one or the other, uh, country artist Billy Dean released a cover of this song, did very well. Um, it went higher on the charts than the original by Dave Mason did. I think it topped out on the U.S. country chart top 40 at number 9, and it stayed in the top Twenty four, you know, top forty for weeks on end. It was very popular, and a bar that I used to go to uh, played it at least once a night. It seemed like uh, this is while I was in the army down in Panama. We had a country bar on base, and I always loved this song. 
And it was actually a song that when I ended up working uh, security, i.e. as a bouncer at a club in Texas for uh, about a year and a half um, during a, a time in my early uh, adult life when I first moved here and would take any little gig I could. And it was a, a thing that when we would kind of break up and almost fight, we'd kind of look over at the DJ and, and, and he'd play this song, kind of trying to mellow shit out. Right, because it's really a lot, probably like a couple that had a divorce and, and burying the hatchet and just going on their lives and stop blaming each other. That's probably where the angle comes from in it. But it kind of spawns all types of scenarios. Not necessarily either one of us is a bad guy. We just disagree about this thing and we don't need to tear each other apart over it because it won't do either one of us any good. Oh my God, social media. We have gotten to a point today where if you if you if you wear a mask at all, you're a moron. And if you don't wear a mask ever, you just want grandma to die. And every issue, every issue is exactly the same. It's split almost perfectly down the middle. And the worst place you can be is between two irrational people who want to fight no matter what. And if you want to see how that plays out, go say anything that's a position when that type of argument's going on that is, Well, here's your point that's valid, here's your point that's valid, and this is kind of the middle point. The middle's not always right, but let's say that it is in this case, and watch both of them lose their flipping mind. They'll hate you more than the person they were arguing with. And I just keep thinking to myself, can't we just get along? Can't we go back to the concept of, there ain't no good guy, there ain't no bad guy. There's just you and me. And we just disagree. With that, it's been Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Been away. Haven't seen you in a while. How you been? Have you changed your style and do you think That we've grown up differently Don't seem the same Seems you've lost your feel for me So let's leave it alone Cause we can't see eye to eye There ain't no good guy, there ain't no bad guy, there's only you and me and we just disagree. You got